This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Representative Jones and uh, Representative Johnson have been very vocal about January 6th in Washington, D.C., about um, what that was. And what they did today was equivalent, at least equivalent, maybe worse, depending on how you look at it, of doing an insurrection in the Capitol. Republicans are frustrated. Their cult leader was arraigned this week in a Manhattan courtroom, and there wasn't a goddamn thing that they could do about it. Well, not in New York anyway. So they took a stand in Tennessee, hoping to show the libs who's boss. And instead, they burned the next generation of civil rights leaders right before our eyes. Meet the Tennessee Three. The world saw what happened yesterday. Two young African-American brothers, unfairly prosecuted, but they handled themselves like true champions. It's a horrific indictment on the uh, Tennessee GOP, and they ought to be ashamed of themselves. It looked like a Jim Crow era trial. Two black men fighting for their careers, fighting for their reputations. It was a shame to see some of the smirks that some of our colleagues on the other side of the aisle had as... They saw our tears. This is the greatest miscarriage of justice on this floor since African-American members were first seated for five seconds of disruption before the speaker called for recess. These members were expelled. Last Thursday, the eyes of the nation were on Tennessee and its politics when the House voted along party lines to expel two young black Democratic lawmakers. Justin Jones of Nashville, and Justin Pearson of Memphis. Democrat Gloria Johnson of Knoxville, she survived expulsion by a single vote. The question is why? Because, as she so aptly put it, she's white. To the nation, keep watching. We are losing our democracy. We need to make sure that we stomp out this march to fascism. Absolute power corrupts absolutely, and we cannot forget that. Republicans expelled them for taking over the speaker's podium and using a megaphone to lead chants with the crowd, protesting the lack of action by lawmakers on gun violence. And this was right after three children and three educators were murdered in the recent mass shooting at a Nashville Christian school. Jones said at the hearing on Thursday, and I quote, I was most of all standing for these young people who are all terrified by the trend of mass shootings plaguing this state and plaguing our nation. It's not just about losing their job, it's about silencing the voices of over 70,000 people in my district. Altogether, the three of us represent over 200,000 people whose voices are being taken and silenced um, by a, a party that is, is acting like authoritarians. I mean, it's very concerning and, and it represents a clear and present danger to democracy all across this nation that should trouble us all. We went up to the well because our people were continually silenced. Um, protesters um, were silenced. The Speaker of the House refused to let any member speak on the issue of guns. Um, so he, he shut down democratic debate. And so um, we found a way to get in the way to get in good trouble, as John Lewis called it. The protest at the State House was peaceful but intense. No demonstrators broke into the Capitol. No one was arrested or injured, and no property was damaged but Republicans claim it was on par with January 6th. I mean, it was nothing like January 6th. But the three, well, they were charged with disorderly behavior and bringing dishonor to the House of Representatives. When in fact, it was Tennessee House Republicans who had brought dishonor upon themselves. Here in this Tennessee General Assembly, 
That's why you're standing there, because of that temper tantrum that day, for that yearning to have attention. That's what you wanted, but you're getting it now. So I just advise you, if you want to conduct business in this house, follow Bill. Be recognized, stand there and present it, and pass it. All you got to do is pass the bill. Representative Pierce. Now, you all heard that. How many of you would want to be spoken to that way? Now, this is just the latest move by Republican state leaders around the country to stifle dissent and expand their power base according to free speech experts. Tennessee used to be a two-party state, but the radical right is now in the supermajority. I think the Republican snowflakes uh, in the legislature uh, made a terrible miscalculation. I think for someone who served in the minority in the Florida House before, uh, your, your vote is irrelevant. What, what you have is your voice. And what the Republicans in the legislature have done to Justin Squared is they have given these two gentlemen a voice now much larger than they ever had by being in the super minority in the legislature. Nationally, this trends towards MAGA lawlessness in Republican-run state legislatures in an alarming step all in the wrong direction. I mean, for God's sakes, their playbook reads like this. Don't accept election results, lie with impunity, ban abortions, ban books, disregard the Constitution and civil liberties. And, in the case of Tennessee, use overt racism to establish your white supremacy. Let's talk about expulsion. For years, one of your colleagues who was an admitted child molester sat in this chamber. No expulsion. One member sits in this chamber who was found guilty of domestic violence. No expulsion. We had a member pee in another member's chair in this chamber. No expulsion. What you're really showing for the world is holding up a mirror to a state that is going back to some dark, dark roots. A state in which the Ku Klux Klan was founded is now attempting another power grab by silencing the two youngest black representatives and one of the only women Democratic women in this body, that's what this is about. A movement has been brewing in Tennessee. Jones and Pearson are both freshman lawmakers from major cities that are coming back into style. Nashville, for instance, has been experiencing a renaissance of its music and art scene. And Democrats from all over were beginning to settle there. Republicans wanted to do their convention in Nashville, but Nashville's elected officials didn't want a MAGA-fueled extravaganza in their town and voted against it. So, the expulsion of Justin Jones, the representative from Nashville, was simple retaliation. Hey everyone, I want to give you an update because things are dire here in Tennessee. The founder of the Tennessee Holler, who's been covering the on-the-ground movements, was the first to break the news of what was happening with the Tennessee Three. His home, where he and his kids were sleeping last night, was shot. Numerous bullets entered in through the walls and windows. This is an unacceptable backsliding into fascism. This is an attack on the press. Things are dire here in Tennessee. We need your support. Call Speaker Sexton. And trust me, I know from retaliation. These recent events will likely set the state back some, but 
The Tennessee GOP is well aware of the changing demographic, and if you're listening to this show, you're probably not welcome to relocate to that state. They would not treat us with equal respect as a representative. They, they cut off our microphones, wouldn't let us talk on committees, uh, made um, hostile remarks when I was on elevators. I had a member just a few days ago yell at me at an elevator and tell me I'm an effing disgrace, and I just, you know, that's how they treat us. They see us as, as not worthy of even being an equal colleague. So no matter what we have to endure here, we know that it's going to be worth it for this new South that we are trying to build, which is a South that is based on multiracial democracy, which is based off of human rights, which is based off of a future where our children don't just survive, but where they can thrive and flourish. That's what we went to the well to fight for. So GOP lawmakers calling a peaceful protest a temper tantrum while loosening gun restrictions against the will of the people. I mean, that's fucking bold. I mean, and really fucking stupid. I'm sure they wish that the nation wasn't watching. The political bullying has been going on behind the scenes. This idea that he and uh, Representative Justin Pearson must apologize is a mindset set in white supremacy. But here's the bottom line. The bottom line is Tennessee is home to four major gun manufacturers. So hello, connect the dots and follow the money. Republican lawmakers are being paid to protect guns, not children. And as long as black and brown people are the ones being disproportionately victimized by gun violence, well, they'll just fucking sit on their hands. But the Tennessee Three gave their constituents permission to protest and push back against gun violence and the politicians who support it. Change the laws or change the legislature. I mean, doesn't make a difference to me, whichever comes first. And then Kamala Harris then went to Tennessee to address the situation that has dominated the news cycle. A democracy says you don't silence the people. You do not stifle the people. You don't turn off their microphones when they are speaking about the importance of life and liberty. That is not what a democracy does. As a woman of color and a former prosecutor, she was the absolute perfect person to check the Tennessee GOP and support the Tennessee Three. Every single person that does business with Tennessee needs to reevaluate that right now. If you are the NFL thinking of putting a Super Bowl there, you should be rethinking that. If you are the Country Music Association planning to have your award show there in November, you should be rethinking that right now. We cannot allow things like this to go happen and then reward places with business, with commerce, with economic revenue and growth. They have made a very clear statement today with their actions, the Tennessee legislator, that if you are not a white Republican, you are not welcome in their state. There have been calls for Tennessee sports teams like the Memphis Grizzlies to sit out in solidarity with the three. But who knows, we'll see. But like I said, a movement is afoot. And in America, major movements have always been behind major change. As of late Friday, there was talk of the House reinstating Jones and Pearson. So let's just all stand by for those developments. Every social movement for change in America has been owned by young people. And it's very clear that you understand that legacy and that you are a clear part of that legacy. I want to be very candid with you tonight and let you know that you made so many people very proud today. You and former Representative Pearson, in the way that you have conducted yourselves, in the way that you have stand, stood and weathered this adversity, you have made us proud and you represent 
what is good about American democracy. Now more on the abuse of power front. The Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, I mean folks, you can't make this shit up. <laughs> Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and his charming wife, Ginny, have a long history of bending the rules to meet their needs, their wishes, and their wants. On several occasions, Thomas told me graphically of his own sexual prowess. Because I was extremely uncomfortable talking about sex with him at all, and particularly in such a graphic way. A great piece of investigative journalism in ProPublica last week exposed how the Thomases have enjoyed more than 20 years of freebies and vacations funded by Dallas real estate magnate and Republican super mega donor Harlan Crow. There were trips in private jets and vacations on private islands. I mean, some trips they claim worth as much as a half a million dollars. One of America's Supreme Court justices is in a major corruption scandal. And you'll never guess who. Okay, it's Clarence Thomas. <laughs> but you'll never guess what. A simply blockbuster, bombshell report. Get this, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas did not disclose luxury trips around the world worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. ProPublica says Justice Thomas has for years accepted free charter jet flights and stays on a yacht. After the story dropped, David G. Savage of the LA Times, he came out to say that he had reported on the close connection between the Thomases and Crow back in 2004. Savage claims that Crow had given Thomas a $19,000 Bible that had belonged to the famous abolitionist and former slave Frederick Douglass. And he also gave him a $15,000 bust of Abraham Lincoln. After the LA Times piece came out, Thomas did not stop accepting fancy gifts and travel from Crow. I'll tell you what he did do, he did stop disclosing them. And that, my friends, is against the law. Legal experts claim that Thomas violated federal disclosure laws when he failed to report the free travel he was gifted. But at the very least, he's violated the public's trust and corruptly exploited his position of power to subsidize a life of luxury. Enough is enough. Gift giver Harlan Crow was an early donor to the Club for Growth, an anti-tax group, and is on the board of a prominent conservative think tank. And he has worked diligently to move the judiciary and the legal system to the far right. Well, guess what? It fucking worked. Just be straight up. Who wouldn't want to pull up on Miami Beach with old CT? Clarence, we're doing tequila shots. Mmm, Clarence love tequila shots. I don't know why I made him sound like Sling Blade. Here's my question. If you're gonna buy a Supreme Court justice, why would you spend all that money on luxury yachts and planes for Clarence Thomas? You could have bought Brett Kavanaugh for a bottle of Jaeger and a Southwest Border Pass. This is the better deal. Here's a creepy detail. At one of the properties where Thomas vacations, there is a painting, I mean, like seriously, like an oil painting of Thomas deep in conversation with a number of shadowy figures, including Leonardo, Leo, I mean, the leader of the Federalist Society, who also happens to be the puppet master behind the court's hard right turn. Leo is now overseeing Marble Freedom Trust, established to disperse cash from, get a load of this shit, a $1.6 billion fund to manipulate elections in favor of, 
Yeah, guess who? Republicans. I mean, seriously, of course. Because laws don't apply to them, and the will of the people is just a pain in the ass. I mean, that's how they see it. They will happily pay to subvert. Clarence Thomas must resign. I'm just a civil servant. <laughs> and if he doesn't, well, if there was ever a case to impeach a Supreme Court justice, this is it. Now, Senator Dick Durbin tweeted on Friday, and I quote, not prosecuting Clarence Thomas, not investigating Alito, Kavanaugh, and others is an affront to the rule of law and public trust. Highest court, highest betrayal, highest accountability, highest consequences. Anything less is criminal and betrayal. So, you know what I'm going to say, but call your senators and demand investigations into Thomas and Kavanaugh and the whole treacherous lot of them. Because seriously, my friends, enough is fucking enough. But the bad things are happening at the state level. Abortion bans, book bans, attacks on trans kids, voter suppression, all of those things happen at the state level. And while we're talking about state legislators, let's talk about what's happening with Gen Z voters. They are done. Republicans know that they are in a losing race. They have already lost the kids. They've alienated them. So the only thing they can do is suppress the vote. The most hateful Trump-appointed judge in America was sought out by anti-abortion activists to deliver yet another blow to women's reproductive rights. And Friday, well, he delivered a fucking death blow. In an unprecedented move, a Texas federal judge has halted the FDA's approval of the abortion pill, Mifepristone. Right now, it doesn't mean anything. There's now a federal judge in Washington who said the opposite, who said we cannot take Mifepristone off of um, pharmacy shelves. And so now there are dueling injunctions. The abortion medication is one of two drugs used to induce an abortion and terminate pregnancy up to 10 weeks. U.S. District Judge Matthew Katzmark from the Federal District Court in Amarillo, Texas, stayed the use of mifepristone, a safe and effective abortion drug, saying that the FDA rushed the approval of the drug. I mean, seriously, let's seriously think about this. Fucking 23 years ago. The ruling will end access to the medication. And it's happening because of religion. Not science or women's health or even anything rational. It's just one sick zealot's opinion that will literally affect the lives of millions of women. If you want to believe that God is wanting you to push a bill through with no exception that kills mothers and ruins the lives of children, lets mothers bring home babies to bury them, then I think you're miscommunicating with God. Or maybe you're just not communicating with him at all. I mean, seriously, the AMA released this statement on Friday, and I quote, The court's disregard for well-established scientific facts in favor of speculative allegations and ideological assertions will cause harm to our patients and undermines the health of the nation. By rejecting medical facts, the court has intruded into the exam room and has intervened in decisions that belong to patients and physicians. The drug will be off the shelves in seven days unless an appeal somehow stops it. So my friends, stock up now, if not for yourself, for someone who needs it. I mean, someone may need it in the future. 
But don't give up faith. This will not stand. I am sure of that. And again, a movement is afoot. Republicans know that they are in a losing race. They've already lost the kids. They've alienated them. So the only thing they can do is suppress the vote. They're doing that with things like making sure that students can't vote with their college ID making it more difficult than it should be to keep Gen Z home. All of this is state level stuff. Don't look to DC, look to your state house. A traditional 15th anniversary gift is Crystal. So for Tommy John's 15th year, they're making it crystal clear that you deserve to be unbelievably comfortable every day. When you wear Tommy John, you're so much more comfortable. You can do everything better. So if I sound better, it's because I'm in my Tommy John's right now. I mean, I love Tommy John. I love my shirts. I love my underwear. I love my sleepwear. I love it all. Tommy John underwear moves with you thanks to the breathable, lightweight, moisture-wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands. I mean, with over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, people like me, we love Tommy John. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics who say Tommy John has the most comfortable box of briefs ever. I mean, there's no downside. Buy one pair and you'll never want to wear any other underwear ever again. I mean, look, I can only tell you that my favorite underwear, my favorite t-shirts happens to be Tommy John. And Tommy John's anniversary sale is exactly the perfect time to grab some new Tommy John, which I love because of how it feels when I wear it. Plus, everything is backed by Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. So get 20% off your first order right now at TommyJohn.com slash Cohen. That's 20% off at TommyJohn.com slash Cohen. TommyJohn.com slash Cohen. See site for details. And now for the main event. Here again to help us figure out the legal ramification of everything that's going on in Washington, D.C., is my friend Frank Figluzzi. Figluzzi is a national security contributor and a regular columnist for NBC News and MSNBC. At one time, Figluzzi was the assistant director for counterintelligence at the FBI, where he served for 25 years as a special agent and directed all espionage investigations across the entire government. He is also the author of the national bestseller, The FBI Way, Inside the Bureau's Code of Excellence. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Frank, Judge Mershon warned Donald Trump during his arraignment to stop the violent threats. And yet, despite all of the things that Judge Mershon said, Trump persists. Why doesn't the judge just immediately slap Trump with a gag order? I mean, should Mershon stop Trump before there's actual violence? Because we know that there's going to be. So this is a question, and I'm, I'm glad you led with it because I, my guess is you led with it because you know we're going to be wrestling with this for, for the foreseeable future. And it raises all kinds of of fascinating strategic and tactical questions, not only from the Trumps, but from this judge. And so um, early on, 
it would be fraught with peril if he immediately slapped uh, Trump with a gag order here. You've got a man running for for office. Now, I, I, you, I think I've heard you say, correct me if I'm wrong, in the past that, yeah, Trump is running for, for president uh, really as a defensive mechanism. He, he needs he needs to run for president. Oh, yeah. You know, to protect himself for, from things like this. And so everybody's going to be just like the social media platforms let him back on in the last, say, 30, 60 days. Right. YouTube and Twitter and everybody else. Um that's the same kind of concerns that a judge would have about a man running for president. And and the judge has to ask, ask himself, what value is it in in gagging this guy? And let me make no bones about it. And no one knows this more than you. I'm not at all implying that Trump has the ability to restrain himself. He does not. And eventually this will get worse. But the question will be, so what? For the judge, I'm not going to stop him. Um, this could potentially lead to jailing him, which again is going to, from my security side of how I think, Michael, it's going to get a gag and then a subsequent uh, stint in jail for contempt of court for violating the gag order is only going to serve to heighten the security and threat concerns that I already have. There's another problem here, which is while most judges understand they have the authority to gag a party to the the matter in their courtroom. There, uh, by the way, just so you know, for the for the legal nerds out there, the U.S. Supreme Court has never ruled directly on a judge's authority to gag uh, a defendant. So th we they do. Don't get me wrong, but we don't yet have that precedent set at the Supreme Court. But here's the next level of concern, and we've already see it, seen the strategy play out. Trump's family members and associates, Don Jr., who, who immediately tweeted that photo of the judge's daughter, for example, the Roger Stones, the Steve Bannons, et cetera, are going to act as proxies for him to take some of the heat off of him in the eyes of the judge. And this creates a, an even greater challenge for a judge. That is, how do I gag a third party not part of my courtroom? It can be done, but again, fraught with peril. So I'm not a big fan of the whole concept of the gag order. And I can understand what Donald would end up doing should Judge Mershon decide to take that route, which between you and me, I don't think that he will. We're really in a slippery slope right now because we've never had anyone like Donald Trump. He's a man baby who is angry because he's being held to accountability, and so he's going to lash out. The same way a child would lash out, so will Donald. I hate so what ends up happening is he will go ahead, and then they'll bring an action against the judge for the gag order, violating his First Amendment constitutional rights. And all that will do is help to slow the system down, at which point in time, Maybe then, if in fact that he wins, and he might quite possibly could, he would now have a basis for a recusal. So we are now in this slippery slope, this fucking weird zone where it's okay yeah. for a defendant. Think about this. To, I mean, this is crazy stuff. To threaten or to incite threats... Yeah against the judge in your case to incite threats against the district attorney and the prosecutors who will be 
um, handling this case. It's okay to incite or to attempt to incite threats against witnesses that he perceives will be testifying against him and having his people do it all by what? By phone calls, emails, letters, crazy shit like that. There has to be a way. There has to be a way within which to put an end to this. And I think the only way is kind of like what they're doing for the DA right now and most probably for the judge and many of the prosecutors. They've just provided um, the affected individuals with um, extra security. There's only one problem. What about witnesses? What about people who, like myself, who you know are going to be called as witnesses? I get the same social media threats, letters, crazy stuff like that from Trump supporters calling at all hours of the night. You know, I I get it. Unfortunately, with technology today, and you know this better than most people, they have these programs now that you could do it through your computer and you could basically, I can have the White House as the phone number that pops up and it's virtually impossible to trace, which kind of sucks. So what do you have to do? You, sh- you take the phone off the hook before you go to sleep and that way they don't affect you and your house. But the extra security is a real issue because they don't offer that to witnesses. So it's great. They take care of themselves. I'm all for that. But they don't take care of the people that they brought into the matter. You know, one thing that people don't realize, and I tried to explain this to this one idiot who called. He was a big Trump supporter. Got me on my on my house phone, which I don't know how they got that number, considering it's a private number. But I tried to explain to him that I provided the testimony that I did before the grand jury via subpoena. I was subpoenaed to testify. So what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to now avoid the subpoena for the benefit of Donald. And I tried to explain to him, if you got subpoenaed, you too would have to come in and testify. The only difference is no one gives a fuck about you because you don't know what you're talking about. You're just some crackpot who should probably just take whatever money he's got in the bank and send it to Donald. Well, as you know, as Mike Pence has learned about subpoenas and having to go as well, and and a bunch of Secret Service agents on the detail at Mar-a-Lago, everybody's learning what the rule of law actually means. I think this important. This is a very important discussion to lead off with, Michael, because I, I see a lot of uh, good folks on social media saying, "Gag him." When is the gag order coming? He's going to get gagged. And I and I want to level set expectations, and I think you're helping to do that with this conversation because, as you just said, and let's not diminish what you just said let's let's be clear and i'm with you on this it's fraught with peril um to do uh, the gag where definitely uh if you were to gag before any threatening conduct occurred that's there is law on that prior restraint right but the uh, the ultimate goal where this is headed is to secure everybody to expect bad things are going to get said Violence can be incited. We have a track record of that with this guy. And therefore, the judge, the prosecutors, the jury 
And hopefully, as you pointed out, the witnesses, but not a lot of history on on really, really fulsome security. By the way, for witnesses, we're talking about a very expensive proposition. This is going to cost the taxpayers of, of New York an incredible amount of money as this goes forward with security measures, both physical, intelligence-wise, overtime for officers. I, I mean, I, we're, we'll be well into the millions or tens of millions of dollars on security before this is all over. But I want people to understand, like, like we're saying, don't think that the judge is going to sit there and gag um, Trump because the first thing that Trump will do when gag is violate the gag order. He wants this to happen and it mm -hmm. will incite more violence. And the term we use in the counterterrorism field is stochastic terrorism. It means terrorism that you yourself don't mm -hmm. actually carry out or direct, but rather that you incite knowingly, deliberately, or with callous disregard for what's about to happen because of what you said. That's where we are. That was January 6th. January 6th could have been more direct terrorism. We'll find out. But that's where we are. So there's no easy fix here. And and security, like you said, is great, but it won't help for everybody. And it and and like I said, security and law enforcement have to get it right every single day. And some lunatic loan offender only has to get lucky once. That's right. The only difference here is, as I'm sure you saw, one of the things that dear old Donald did is he called for massive protests in New York and he, you know, violence and vengeance and all of those other words that, you know, he was trying to um, stoke emotion into his supporters. Well, it didn't really work. I mean, the tens and tens of supporters that showed up, some of whom, like, you know, they have, you'll see them all the time in the background. Usually it's uh, over his right and his left shoulder. There'll be, a, you know, a, a black male or a black female wearing blacks for Trump. They're hired. The, these, these are not real. These are, it's an organization that's paid, oh, know. Uh, you know, in order to show that there's diversity for Donald and so on. These aren't, so I think there were like 10 of them at the date where um, he was arraigned. I'll tell you who was out in force, the people that want to see accountability, the people that believe that Donald Trump is a clear and present danger to American democracy. And I have to say this as well, and this is not to take anything away from the Capitol Police, who are incredibly brave, unprepared at the time. Why? Well, maybe because Donald had his hand in that as well, uh, as well as the Washington police, also incredibly brave. But there's nothing like NYPD. I mean, NYPD is like a militia. It's like, it's bigger than many countries' armies, and they're better trained. These guys don't, you know, when I say, you know, these officers, they don't fuck around at all. They've been doing this for a long time. They know exactly how to deal with crowds. They know how to deal with things like when the Pope comes into town or dignitaries or presidents and so on. They have this thing down to a science. And there was no way in the world that anything resembling January 6th was going to happen on their watch. So, you know, my my hat's off to, if I was wearing a hat, you know, I would say hat's off to the NYPD. Well done. Nothing happened. Yeah. It was peaceful, 
There was still protests. You know, like I said, the tens and tens of people in different little swarms of area and so on. It didn't really matter. But for the most part, even in front of Trump Tower, in front of Trump's, you know, apartment, the biggest group of individuals that showed up there for that was the media. And they had them penned off in their own specific area. I went by it. I saw it. I mean, that was like four, five, six rows deep. Whereas you had your stragglers here and there holding up these stupid Trump signs. Or you had those that were opposing him, you know, convict him, blah, 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 you know, lock him up. Also, completely unnecessary. Let the system run itself. Let the judge make the decisions I still think what Donald, what Don Jr., what Eric did, what all of these, you know, inner circle acolyte fools, really stupids, are doing. I think it's um, not going to ignore to Donald's benefit. But what I did like is after getting handed his ego, and as I've said on this show, probably to you in the past, Donald has a very fragile ego. And so having to be beneath the judge and having to plead not guilty to the 34 counts where he knows that he's got real problems on his hands, he goes running back to Morilardo. He's got that whole room filled. And it's about, what, two, 250 people in their total, many of whom are employees that they just shove in there, right? And so what ends up happening, he's having dinner in order to reinflate his deflated ego with the likes of Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and a couple of other sycophants that as soon as he walks into a room, they all stand up. Did you see that procession in? If that wasn't the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my entire life, you know, uh, sitting there waving, the fuck are you waving for? Daddy just got indicted. You got Ed Don there. He's probably half-baked himself. Eric walks in, Kimberly Gargoyle, and then Marjorie Taylor Greene thinking that, you know, she's just she's coming from a parade. They all look so fucking stupid. Let me tell you something. Marjorie Taylor Greene's the quick uh, fleeing of Manhattan was a sight to behold. Um, she got turned around. And she was livid with the, the as you say, the, the counter protesters who turned out banging pots and pans, blowing whistles. Um, and she literally was drowned out smart enough to catch on that not a word she said was going to be heard by anyone and got out and then completely castigated, you know, New York City. Um, yeah, this is worth watching, Michael, from my national security lens. Why? Because we may be looking at his Trump's future. Um, can he command a crowd? Can his cohort put out a protest uh, party that they want? Or will no one come to that party? This is very early. We cannot declare victory on the security side nope. at, at all, uh, by any stretch. But but this is bad optics for him, the inability to turn out a crowd. Um, and then you saw the filing uh, uh, during his arraignment. They fi- His team filed to, uh, to have him not have to appear for the next hearing. Um, why? You know, for they for those who say, well, he loves a circus, what was that about? He does not like the optics of not controlling a room and him walking into a courtroom and being sheepish and under our judge's, you know, ad- admonishment, 
is not is not happy time for him. So, and the judge, of course, responded, "No, I like my defendants in my courtroom." So this will repeat itself, and unfortunately, the security's got to be right every time it does. I like when he was walking through the door and the police officer didn't hold the door and the door sort of slammed on him. It's been a while since Donald actually held his own door, King Donald, right? I want to go to something a little bit more serious, believe it or not, than even that. Something that I care more about. Three kids and three adults Mm. were gunned down in Tennessee, right? Nashville. But nevertheless, in Nashville... GOP lawmakers voted three to two to expel two elected officials for joining peaceful, and I'm going to say it again, for joining peaceful protesters against gun violence. Now, take like Ron DeSantis has tried to make protesting illegal in Florida. I mean, this is some real authoritarian shit going on here, right? First of all, and it's unconstitutional. How do we legally stop state governments from becoming fascists? You, you are right to say that this issue um, is more serious than what we just discussed, um, because it goes toward the heart of being able to freely and fairly elect our representatives to speak for us in state legislatures. And if they're going to get expelled for representing the will of the people of Tennessee. The data and surveys are out on a post uh, that horrible shooting in Nashville. Um, and the people of Tennessee have spoken and they say they want more law enforcement and they want more gun enforcement and they want to consider a minimum age for purchase of a weapon. This is who votes for these legislators. And yet They've been totally disregarded, and they've seen three of the people they've voted for come under expulsion hearings, and two of them gone. And two of them, let's 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 say, call it what it is. Two of them happen to be black that were expelled, and, and right. the, white, the white woman gets to stay. That is at best a horrible optics, at worst racism. Um, it's been reported by one of those black legislators that a Republican who helped author the expulsion motion called him quote an uppity negro end quote um this is 2023 and and this is where we are so if the school if the shooting of school children in your community doesn't do it for you i don't know what does i've listened closely to all of the explanations i've i listened when republican leaders in the state of tennessee tried last night on cable tv to explain what happened none of them could explain um, what they were doing. None of, none of them. Except they didn't follow any established procedures. They didn't refer the conduct to the ethics committee. Um, they couldn't address how someone who reportedly urinated on another legislator's chair was left in the the uh, Senate uh, undisciplined. We, I, we don't, I, I don't get it, except you're right. We are facing, this isn't just about Tennessee. This is about Florida. It's about Texas. It's about other states where elected officials are going to be kicked out and silenced if they don't get with the authoritarian program. And I'm sorry to say this looks like the near future for us. I mean, this is scary shit. I I really want people to stop for a quick second, whatever they're doing, and think about this. Think about just how dangerous this GOP is right now, especially a GOP that's following the guidelines of Donald J. Trump. I mean, it's, this is very scary stuff. When you're protesting peacefully, 
This is not, this is not a violent mob. This is a peaceful protest against gunning down innocent people and creating some form of sensical gun legislation that they could now remove you because that house is controlled by a member of an opposite party. Never, never in American history would something like this ever, ever take place. Nobody in their right mind would ever think, oh my gosh, I'm the, I'm the head of the, um, uh, of the house in, in the state of New York and I'm a Democrat and a Republican who happens to be elected official is peacefully protesting whatever the heck it is that they're protesting. Let's say gun, gun violence or whatever it might be. And because they're a member of the opposite party, I actually have the ability to remove them from their seat, to remove them from a position that they attained as a direct result of a free and fair election. This is scary stuff. So either you keep your mouth shut and you go along despite the fact of something as atrocious as innocent lives lost as a result of gun violence. It's not happening in a vacuum either. You've got to, if you're going to talk about this issue of silencing elected officials in states, you also have to talk about the gerrymandering that's going on like never before, carving out voting districts so that it's almost impossible for minorities to win and for minority candidates to to win, um, and and then depriving opportunities to vote. So uh, Harris County, Texas, a huge county where Houston sits, right? They went down to one drop box for Harris County, right? That we're talking millions of voters. And yeah, you want to vote? Uh, there's one box, find it in, in the county. That, that's what, I mean, that's what's happening. Make it harder to vote, make it harder to speak out, uh, make it harder to enact change in favor of democracy. And I'm telling you, the 2024 elections are going to be really, really challenging for all of us. You know, look, a lot of that, when it comes to gerrymandering, believe it or not, has to do with technology. Somebody figured out an algorithm, how to look at specific areas and if you move the voting line if you move if you gerrymandered the district over let's say four blocks you could actually flip the vote based upon data that exists in the you know in the internet right uh or in whatever space that you know that information sits in they by moving it over four blocks and changing another area, which is why you start seeing the territory, the gerrymandered districts, mm-hmm. now looking like Italy, right? It goes up and down, or it, it goes left and right, um, thin, yeah. then it gets to a fat area. Right. What they've done is they've just figured out how to move from what block to what block yeah. in order just to change the outcome of an election. This is not normal stuff. No, no. Certainly gerrymandering has been going on for for generations. But what we're seeing now in some of these states is at the height of ludicrousness. So, yes, you're carving out a a white suburban enclave and sticking it 
into a voting precinct with a with an urban uh, demographic, and now it's impossible, right? They, now the whites outnumber the blacks in that district, and and you can't even put up a minority candidate for uh, for that matter. Um, yeah, and then you talk about authoritarianism. So let's go back to Nashville, and let's also include DeSantis in Florida in this discussion on what's happening. So let's say, for example, the outrage in, that happened in Nashville yesterday. Let's say some of the big Tennessee corporations, FedEx, that's headquartered in Memphis, um, the Tennessee Titans of the NFL, Vanderbilt University. Let's say they come together and go, we're outraged. We want to make a stance for democracy. Well, let's go over to Florida and watch what happened when Disney spoke out Mm -hmm. against DeSantis and the so-called don't say gay bill. What did he do? He literally took their... Municipal municipality authority away from them. <laughs> he said, "Now I run. Now I run Disney. Right now, that's being challenged. But you got if you're FedEx or you're the the, the NFL or you know you're sitting there going, uh, we would like to speak out, but are are we going to get shut down by the the Tennessee legislature like they did in Florida? This is what's going on. Yeah, and it's listen. It's scary. The whole thing is just scary." And it's why I keep trying to tell everybody the single most important thing that you could do is to vote. Anybody who is too tired, it's too difficult, I don't want to stand on any lines, and so on, the apathy to voting will ultimately be the end of our democracy. So each and every one of us have that obligation, and they need to, you need to, people need to vote. Plain and simple. We're seeing you know? we're seeing unprecedentedly close voting outcomes. Look at Lauren Boebert's district in Colorado. You know, we're seeing just razor thin margins. So, so for people who think my vote doesn't make a difference, it absolutely makes a difference. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So Frank, let me ask you this because you and I both agree that the Supreme Court is broken. I it's I I can't even believe that I'm having this conversation. I mean, I remember as a kid and learning about the Supreme Court and this is a job that you have for life. The only way that you end up leaving is either you want to or in a box. It's one or the other. You know, this is and they were the smartest of the smarts. They were, you know, impressive, impressive. But this week it's revealed that Clarence. And Jeannie Thomas, right? I mean, we already know about Jeannie Thomas with the January 6th insurrection. And we know about Clarence Thomas deciding that he didn't want to start prosecuting anybody in order to potentially protect his wife. Clarence Thomas, on behalf of himself and his wife, accepted a whole slew of free luxury trips, literally now for 20 years from this major GOP super donor, this billionaire Harlan Crow. Now, this couple has gone out of their way to prove, I mean, literally, my opinion, to prove that they're corrupt. I think that they're going out of their way to show that they are legitimately above the law. And now they're doing it in everyone's face. To your knowledge, I mean, are they even being investigated? Is there an investigation pending into this? So, look, you're right. I um, 
I have held off. You know that I'm an institutionalist. I I will not castigate our institutions, and I've held off on saying anything about the brokenness of the Supreme Court until yesterday, when I tweeted that yes, I believe now the Supreme Court is broken, and um, that has little to nothing to do with whether I like or dislike their rulings. It rather has to do that they simply refuse to come under the authority uh, of an ethics code for themselves. And I place that blame squarely on Chief Justice John Roberts, who had plenty of, plenty of lead time here on numerous issues, many of them involving Clarence Thomas and his wife. And he could have said, hey, we're going to sit down and draft an ethics code because every other federal judge has to comply and we don't have one. And he's not done it. And yet he goes out on the speaking circuit, Federalist Society, et cetera, and says he's he's at a loss to understand why Americans uh, have lost faith in the Supreme Court. It's exactly because of this. It's because they lack an ethics code to follow. And let's be clear here. This major Republican donor for the last 20 years has at least annually taken the Thomases on trips one of which is calculated uh, by, by with great work by the journalists at ProPublica, by the way, who did this expose. It's hard work. They had to track tail numbers, uh, you know, credit card. I mean, it, it was hard work. And they, they said one trip, if you calculate the chartering of the private jet, the private yacht, the, uh, the villa, rentals, food, lodging, well, one trip would have cost $500,000 that they looked at. So that's happening for 20 years, every God darn year. And a stat, you know, came out yesterday that this donor, who, by the way, is of the Trammell Crow uh, property real estate uh, fortune, um, this guy built a statue for um, this, the middle school that Clarence Thomas attended. The statue was of his favorite teacher, a nun that taught Clarence Thomas in eighth grade. Uh, that's a statue donated by this guy, Crow to the middle school that Clarence Thomas attended. This goes on, stuff like this goes on all the time. We have no idea whether other justices are doing anything like this, because why? There's no transparency and little to no reporting. You know, look, the counter, or the, the counter argument to this is something that Clarence Thomas put out in a statement when he said, Harlan and Kathy Crow are among our dearest friends, and we've been friends for over 25 years. As friends do, we have joined them on a number of family trips during the more than quarter century that we have known them. Early in my tenure at the court, I sought guidance from my colleagues and others in the judiciary, and I was advised that this sort of personal hospitality from close personal friends who did not have business before the court was mm. not reportable. I have endeavored to follow that counsel throughout my tenure and have always sought to comply with disclosure guidelines. Well, you know, I get it. You know, everybody has a friend who is financially very well off. In this case, you know, maybe not as well off as Harlan Crow, but, you know, they'll turn around and they'll say, hey, um, I'm taking the plane and we're going to wherever it may be going. Why don't you guys join us for the weekend? Yeah. You know, okay. 
how many of us have friends like that? This is you a, know, this if, is a government. I want to point something out, though. This is a government. By the way, by the way, I hope that my sarcasm was noticed be, uh, on you, Frank, because I was waiting for you to say, well, I don't have a friend who's yeah. got the private plane in the private islands and the houses in Indonesia all the way to California and, and around the world. You know, um, yeah, I have friends who have a boat. And they'll say, hey, you know, let, let's, let's take the boat out. Right. Some of them range to quite ni nice sized boats. Others are, you know, smaller little fishing boats that we go out on and horse around. And yeah, I don't, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I didn't ship in for the gas, but I think we're talking about a whole nother story here, yes, especially I considering I'm not a Supreme Court judge. Right, exactly. This is the issue, right? Because you, know, <laughs> you could have friends and boy, we all want a friend with a boat. That's the, that's the old joke, right? Hey, what's better than owning a boat? Having a friend with a boat, of course. Exactly. But, but this is a government official. He sits on the highest court in the land. And I, I can tell you what the ethics... Um, training I had in the FBI, and we had strict reporting guidelines, but particularly when you get into the senior executive ranks. But, they, you know, very simple rule they, they asked us to follow was, hey, ask yourself when you get one of these offers, and boy, when you're running a field office in a, in a territory or you're uh, an assistant director, you you suddenly have all these people making really interesting offers. And um, they, the, the rule of thumb was to ask yourself, would I be getting this offer if I was not an FBI official? And, and always the answer was no. You know, so yeah, some guy, richest, richest guy in town offering you a free use of his jet. Um, uh, you, hey, you're the new guy in town in charge of the FBI. How about a mortgage discount? Because I, I run the largest mortgage bank in town. You get all of this and you have to say no. And you have to report even the approach. So the fact that the Supreme Court justice is ruling on cases involving the Republican Party, gerrymandering cases, and literally, as ProPublica reported, the next day going on vacation with one of the largest Republican donors. How can you? How can that not impact your thinking? And not to mention your wife, Ginny Thomas, getting a hundred and twenty thousand uh, dollar job from this from this guy. How about that? That's a gift. Let's let's face it. Look, you know, and again, I just find the whole thing to be. So dirty that this is the problem. Yeah, you know, when you have a job for life and you cannot be removed, this becomes a real problem. I've always been opposed to lifetime positions, you know, to the lifetime tenure, whether it's a federal court judge, whether it's a Supreme Court judge, nobody has a lifetime job. Right. Other than other than these folks. I've never heard of such a thing. You don't even have Harlan Crow doesn't even have a lifetime job in his own company. You know, maybe one of his kids turns around, you know, the kids get all together. If you watch Succession, right, you see what happens when kids start getting some of the shares here and they decide they know more than daddy. But I, I want to move on and ask you this because we're going to stay on Supreme Court for a second. What the hell is wrong with Justice Roberts? I mean, you know, on his watch, Chief Justice Roberts, the court has earned the absolute worst approval ratings ever. I mean, it goes back to what I was just saying to you. Don't you think that maybe it's time for term limits? Or maybe, for example, members of the Supreme Court should be elected like the president so that they would have to answer to the people because they don't answer to anyone. They just do whatever the hell that they want. And depending upon how the vote goes, and that's how you now see an overturning of Roe v. Wade. In fact, 
if we use that as the example, the last, well, I should say uh, there was four, uh, taking Katanji, um, you know, uh, Jackson uh, out of the um, equation, the three that were nominated and put onto the Supreme Court by Donald J. Trump, they all acknowledged that they would respect what's called stare decisis, the, deci- the previous decision, including, for example, Roe v. Wade. 50 years, it's been, it's been law. Well, did they? No. The first thing they do that a case comes in front, they end up overturning it. This is not right. They lied to the American people. They lied to Congress in order to get, um, you know, to get the approval. And they still do exactly what it is that they want. Well, they all finally get some sort of a, a change of, of change of heart that, you know, the way that they stated they would accept stare decisis then to literally within months overturn the entire decision. Yeah, I'm so to say that I'm sorely disappointed in John Roberts would be an understatement. I, I saw glimmers of hope early in his tenure on the court, um, but really he showed me who he was. You know, you mentioned the Roe v. Wade uh, overturning of the Dodd by the Dodd decision. He showed me who he was with regard to what he decided to do with the leak investigation of that draft opinion. Right. You remember that. And what he did was he went totally internal to the court. He picked. Uh, the woman who is the marshal of the court. Please don't confuse that job with the U.S. marshals. That's not at all what she is. She she is the woman who walks in every morning into the court and says, oh, yay, oh, yay, oh, yay. The court is now in session. And she has the so-called security force for the Supreme Court building and the justices. That's who he picked to run the leak investigation of that draft uh, opinion on Dodd. What did she do with that job? She didn't really interview the uh, justices. She had discussion with them and a dialogue with them. She went to a security firm run by, uh, gosh, was it Mukasey or or someone in New York to bless the investigation and then um, declared that there was no way to find out who did this. Never interviewed, even though employees told her, yeah, I told my spouse. I told my spouse we were overturning Roe v. Wade never went outside the court to interview any of those spouses, never did really full forensics that you can do when you have law enforcement authority like the FBI. You can subpoena the uh, the platforms, right? See who talked to who, who got on the phone with who, which wife or spouse gave up this case to a media reporter with this phone number. She did none of it. That was John Roberts' decision to sweep this leak under the carpet. Yeah, embarrassing. Now, Frank, I know that you know, that you're a safe gun advocate. But with each mass murder, their protests and the public outcries and you start seeing, you know, prayers and sympathy for the family. You have all the heart emojis going out, the broken heart emojis and so on. And then nothing happens. Now, President Biden is calling for the assault weapons ban to go back into effect. How likely do you think that Congress will take any meaningful action? How likely do you think it is that Congress will take any action at all? And what do you what do you think that we can do right now to curb the senseless shootings and the unfortunate loss of life that's associated? So um, 
Uh, I, that's easy. You can just press uh, my uh, my speaker button on my on my chest, and I'll tell you exactly what needs to be done. The the, the second I say that, somebody in the audience will say, uh, "Well, that wouldn't have applied to Nashville, or that wouldn't have helped in El Paso, or that would have helped. yeah." So you know, let's not keep finding the exceptions. Let's find the middle ground that we can work on. Really good work being done by Senator uh, Chris Murphy out of uh, Connecticut, by the way, mm-hmm. on, on helping people find that middle ground. And yes, it's frustratingly small baby steps that are being taken, but they are steps that are being taken. Uh, right now, today, with pending legislation, what could be done and will not be done um, because of the split uh, Congress is the closing of the gun show loophole. You've heard this before. The notion that, yes, by God, we require background investigations nationally through the FBI and every time you purchase a weapon, except when you go to the county fairgrounds on the weekend and and buy a gun at the big gun show. Then we don't care. Except when your neighbor down the street says, hey, I'd like to sell you my shotgun. No, we don't require that then. Number one, close the gun show loophole. Number two, the Charleston loophole. You you remember a kid by the name of Dylan Root shoots up a a Bible study Wednesday night at a uh, AME church in in Charleston, South Carolina, come and find out when he purchased his gun, there was a glitch and a discrepancy in the background check. And you know what the law says? If it takes more than three days for the background check to get figured out, we default to giving you the gun. That is absolute nonsense. And the data shows that thousands of people have been handed their guns who would have failed the background check. So it works if we just do it. Those two things can be done right now, and the bills are waiting um, to pass, and there's nothing we're going to do about that. Also, yes, I'd love to see a a minimum age of 21 for an assault-style weapon. I'd love to see that. You know, if that couldn't happen after Uvalde school shooting, it's it's not going to happen. But that's that's where I am on that. I've got plenty more, but those two would start right right away. And go right back to that whole thing about voting. Right. You got to vote for people who want sensible gun, you know, sensible gun laws. Look, I was prior to, of course, me paying the porn star to pull the president's mushroom pecker. Right. I I had a full carry here in New York. I am not anti-Second Amendment at all. I just don't understand. And I'm not saying it because people, people always say, ah, fuck you, Cohen. You know, you know, you're just saying this because you hate Donald and, you know, you hate the Second Amendment. No, I don't. No, no, I don't. Not for either, right? It's it's just not true. I myself trained in firearms. I myself owned multiple firearms prior to, again, you know, losing my license uh, as a felon, and hopefully I'll figure out how to get that back. Um, I just don't understand the necessity of owning one of these assault rifles, one of these Weapons of war. I'm not sure why you need an AR-15 versus a 30-odd-6. I just don't, I don't understand the reason why. Because it's not rapid fire? Because you can't dispense of 100 bullets in under 60 seconds? I mean, we were smart enough to get rid of these bump stocks, right, that make any gun into a fully automatic I don't understand what the big argument, what the big fight is over over this, and I'll never understand it. But I want to jump into a different topic for a second now. The word on the street 
is that Jack Smith is closing in on a Trump indictment in the Mar-a-Lardo documents case, right? And for those people that don't know, the Mar-a-Lardo document case, of course, of the stolen documents um, that were all labeled top secret. And, and most importantly, What's most importantly, the investigation of those documents was obstructed by Donald Trump. I was going to get to that. Sure. You know, it's it's not so much the fact that he was in possession of them. It's as much as that he refused to return them and then had his lawyers lie. Right. Like Christina Hobb, who's now probably going to be testifying against him as well, because they lie. He lied. He lied to her and he had other people lie to her and et cetera, et cetera. But what signs are you seeing, if any? And do you think that because of so much evidence and the paper trail that the case will be relatively easy to prosecute? Yeah. But, so what I'm looking at is what some of the stuff you just mentioned. The dam has broken with regard to the challenges um, that people around Trump have tried to launch to prevent them from having to testify. The, the dam is broken. Secret Service agents assigned to his detail at Mar-a-Lago are going to be testifying. What are they possibly going to say? They're the folks. Remember, Trump Trump threw them under the bus in a footnote on one of his filings in this. Wow, what a shocker. Case. Yeah, he said, right. There was a little red footnote that said something like, oh, and the Secret Service, by the way, they set up a skiff at Mar-a-Lago and they guard the documents for me. Well, let me tell you something. I, my phone started ringing off the hook with sources saying that is bullshit. And so yeah. they, don't, they don't set up skiffs for you know, secure uh, compartment information uh, facilities for former presidents. They never had one. They'll have a temporary one for a real president. Um, no. And they don't know. So what are they going to testify? No, we never guarded. But even worse, Yes, we saw people coming and going. And yes, we think we saw these people in that room where the documents were coming. That's what they're going to say. It's going to be damning um, for Trump. And then, of course, famously, Vice President Pence. We now have a ruling saying with regard to January 6th that he's got to testify. But the Corcorans, the Bobs, with regard to the documents case, the obstruction, the the, the valet uh, not or whatever his name is, who gets him twelve diet cokes a day and you know moved documents that's on videotape, tried first to lie about it, then he was confronted with the security videotape moving the boxes. It's closing in, and they're very close. The only question I have is: Will Smith treat his two grand juries and his two cases, January sixth? and Mar-a-Lago documents, will he treat them separately or will he wait until he's got them all and go forward with that? I, I don't know the answer to that, but I think- My money is, my money, by the way, Frank, my money yeah. is he treats them separately. Yeah. They're yeah, two separate and distinct cases. Yeah. And I think he will compartmentalize them because they don't, yeah. they don't overlap. There's no right? need. I mean, they're just, yeah. they're, yeah. There's absolutely there's, no that's need. That's my opinion. Yeah, there's no need to combine them. And it's a separate prosecutors and separate agents. And yeah, I, I agree with you and separate grand jury. So that will be first. Um, but then the big question mark is Fulton County, Georgia, which, again, another state case, very powerful case involving if, if the grand juror, that special grand juror foreman who spoke until she stopped speaking, uh, thank God, um, if she's correct, we're looking at a dozen or more potential indictments of powerful, powerful people. And um, I love the state system because that cannot be pardoned by Trump or whoever becomes the next president. You know, I've actually said this 
a hundred times, but I still always say it, and I think it's always worth repeating, that nobody should want to see anyone, and that includes Donald J. Trump, indicted, prosecuted, convicted, incarcerated, simply because you don't like him, simply because you don't agree with whether it's anything that comes out of his mouth or most of the things that come out of his mouth or some of the things that come out of his mouth. He should only be indicted, prosecuted, convicted, and incarcerated because he broke the law, right? And I think people have to, they have to start to Tone it down, even as it relates, believe it or not, you know, to to Donald. Rest assured, what he has done is so in your face. It couldn't be more in your face if he actually put put it, wrote it on his on his knuckles in indelible ink and punched you in the forehead, you know, to put it on you. Everybody should see exactly what he did. There's not an argument as far as I believe, the district attorney here in New York's case. There's no argument. The documents speak for themselves. And then you have the same thing with Jack Smith's Marilardo documents case. What could you argue? First and foremost, were you or were you not in possession of the documents? I mean, I don't think that this trial should be a week's long. I think it's a, it's, to me, it's like a day. It should be a day-long trial. You only need to ask Donald 10 questions. First and foremost, were you in possession? Did you know that you should not be in possession? Before you answer that, Donald, please take a look at the following document, right? Whereby your lawyer attested on your behalf that you returned documents, you claim that you did. Then you were asked again, remember, something a lot of people don't know. It's not like they asked him once for the return of the documents. It was over a year that they were asking him for the return of these documents until they finally went and sought judicial intervention, got the subpoena, got the warrant, and went ahead and retrieved the documents that don't belong to him. By the way, Donald, are you aware that you are not permitted to have these documents? And if you say the answer is no, that you're not aware, well, then that would comport with the stupid shit that keeps coming out of that hole underneath your nose, whereby you say, I'm allowed to. And that's the Sean Hannity interview. No, that's not the way the Presidential Records Act reads. You're reading it the way you want. They're not your documents. They belong to the American people. Yeah, I, this is why I think the, I agree with you. It's relatively cut and dry, although it will be protracted, of course. And there'll be all kinds of experts that will have to be brought in by the prosecution with regard to declassification and a president's authority and how what that process should look like, right, or not look like, because that's going to be a major defense of his. But what he cannot defend against um, is the obstruction. He just can't. And you're right. Cannot. Multiple visits. The head of DOJ's National Security Section personally went down there and said, pretty please, you know, National Archives for months, and then the subpoena, and then the search warrant and videotape of people moving boxes. He can't defend against the obstruction. Um, and, um, you know, there's no, just to be clear, there has to be process attached to declassification. I don't care if you're the president. There has to be process. And I think what they're going to find, don't be surprised if part of the obstruction case is um, this guy, Cash Patel, making stuff up mm -hmm. about, about the alleged, you know, blanket declass 
process that never happened. It is smoke and mirrors. And I think he is jammed up, Patel, on that. And it's going to be turned, you know, shown to be a liar with regard to that. Right. You're not permitted to declassify just by thinking about it. You know, look, Frank, as the FBI extraordinaire, you know, uh, agent that you are, I do have to ask you this, right? Jim Jordan and this weaponization subcommittee, they really seem to have an axe to grind with the FBI. Jim Jordan spent months on this bogus whistleblower witch hunt. Can you do me a favor? Explain to my listeners, why do you think that Jim Jordan has it in for the FBI? And what, and what do you think it is that he's ultimately trying to accomplish? Well, it's tough to get inside his head, but the general theme for the entire Trump cohort is to attack the investigators, whether, whether you're um, Bill, Bill Barr, um, John Durham, no matter who you are, Matt Getz, Marjorie Taylor Greene calling for defunding the FBI. If you're attacking them and the president, you're investigating them, you are abusing your authority, according to them, and you must be defunded. So let's, with regard to the so-called whistleblowers, for months, Jim Jordan claimed that upwards of 12 to 14 former FBI employees had come to him and claimed that they were fired or suspended or had waste, fraud, and abuse to, to uh, report. I want to make it clear here, not one of those individuals has been granted whistleblower status by the Department of Justice. They are fired employees who refuse to do their job. One of them refused to take the COVID vaccine. Another one that's very outspoken um, refused. And I, by the way, I've never seen this in my 25 years in the FBI. He was a SWAT team member in Florida. He walked away from a SWAT assignment. You never leave your SWAT buddies. Ever. Wow. He walked away from SWAT because they were going to arrest a January 6th defendant. Um, and he refused to do it. Um, that's who we're dealing with. Not real whistleblowers. Make-believe whistleblowers. And when Jim Jordan put on his first two or three top so-called whistleblowers, they fell flat on their face um, and were destroyed as people just making stuff up who were disgruntled, suspended, or fired. That's that. But it's going to go on. The defund the FBI thing is going on and on and on. Um, and look, you know, people, you know, I always tell you've heard the thin blue line, right? What separates us from total chaos in society? If you only knew um, what a week without the FBI would do um, to yeah. this, to our national security. So, so then boring. Frank, so Frank, let me ask you this then, because that you're, you're so right. People don't know exactly what the FBI does and how important they are to the sustaining of our democracy. So then what kind of an effect do you think? that this is having um, on members of the FBI and the intelligence communities when you have these MAGA moron lawmakers, right, and members of the public constantly trying to discredit them, their work, and the reputation of the agency. I'm not going to pretend anymore. Uh, my answer is different than it was, uh, say, a year or two ago, Michael, to this question. I'm not going to pretend that this hasn't had an impact on the rank and file because it clearly has. We saw Washington, Washington Post reporting a few weeks ago, Carol Lennig and others, on the story that broke that there were loud, vehement disagreements between the Washington field office management and DOJ about whether a search of Mar-a-Lago was needed. You saw that reporting, shouting at each other. Allegedly, the, the guy in charge of the Washington field offices, one of the most important field office jobs in the FBI, right? Um said something like, 
I'm going to have to be ordered to lead that search because I'm not doing it. So when you ask me, what's the impact of this constant um, denigration of, of the Bureau? It is to cause them all to question themselves, to cause them, some of them to take sides, some of them to think politically when generally FBI agents never think politically because they're generally apolitical animals. So yes, it's having an impact. And yes, we've there's reports of screaming debates on January 6th cases and others. And it's, it's the saddest thing that can happen because the FBI must continue to be perceived as apolitical and neutral, and it has not been perceived that way um, since Trump took office. Yeah, well, that's the problem with the whole DOJ. Trump and Bill Barr and others, they've really, they've really fucked the DOJ up. And look, I'm, I, I have a lawsuit against the U.S., uh, which is, has its own problems because of the Dodd um, decision with overturning now Bivens, you know, which is, gives you the ability to hold the government accountable for um, violation of your constitutional rights, which they did. I mean, there's no argument there. I have a federal judge that acknowledged that they did, but that's a whole nother story. The hour goes by quick. I have one last question for you. And this is one that I really gave a lot of thought to. How would I end the show with the great Frank Fagluzzi? And this is something that I don't have an answer to. So I'm really looking forward to your answer. What the hell is the latest on this Hunter Biden laptop shit? Because all you hear from this far right and these MAGA morons is any time that there's anything that Donald Trump is being accused of, all you hear them say is, well, what about Hunter Biden's laptop? I mean, do they or do they not have anything tangible against this guy? Because we hear that the laptop has been potentially tampered with now by the Russians, by right. Rudy, and God knows who else. I mean, right. we have no idea anything about this laptop. Because I really believe that if there was something there, that we would know it by now. But there's nothing there other than some nude photos of Hunter with so a prostitute doing drugs. And we all know that he has or had had a massive drug problem. Yeah. And I feel sorry for him for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, for, for those who keep repeating that mantra, where's Hunter? Where's the lot? What about the laptop? I hope to God that never in their lives do those people ever have to deal with a family member who is seriously addicted to drugs because it is, of course, a nightmare for that family. And as I'm sure it was for Biden, and I'm sure he cringes every time something comes out about his son's behavior as a drug addict. Um, let's put that aside, because clearly empathy and compassion are not any of these people's uh, strong points. My understanding, and I want to be clear, I don't, I don't, I'm not pretending to have any inside information, is that there's a pending tax investigation there's also some pending investigation regarding a possible unlawful possession of a weapon by Biden. But those are the two things criminally that are being handled out of the FBI Baltimore field office, because that laptop, uh, you'll remember, came out of um, Delaware, a shop in Delaware. Delaware happens to be covered by the FBI, Maryland. So there you have that. There's a U.S. attorney. You know, talk about Merrick Garland being smart and fair. He kept a Republican U.S. attorney on in, in Maryland to continue to handle the Hunter Biden case. He didn't appoint. Every other U.S. attorney, for the most part, was replaced. 
He kept this guy on knowing all eyes would be on this case. So pending taxes, pending gun possession. The big case, the big issue for me, and I wrote a column about this about a year ago. I'm a counterintel guy, right? When I hear ev strong evidence that known Chinese intelligence officers and, and co-optees were in touch with Hunter Biden, trying to gain influence. And by the way, I can sit here and rattle off every other Chinese government attempt through history to get close to um, uh, George Bush's brother, Neil, and it's all public information, right? They do it. I don't, if, if you've got the last name of a president, you're going to get visited by Chinese intelligence officers and lots of money will be dangled in front of you. That needs to be investigated. I'm confident it's being investigated, but I'm also hearing, this is where I'm going to put my, my media hat on and sources. I'm hearing that they can't find the direct line to Joe Biden that, you know, I know people are going to be on the, on the left, on the right are going to be sorely disappointed to hear this, but yeah, I've, won't as they say I, too bad. Right. I I've yet to hear anybody go. We, yeah, we've got the money flowing to Biden. I, you know, by the way, if in fact that they had that, I promise you it would be out there right now, front and center it would have been out there from day number one. No doubt in my mind. Right. Now, why is it taking so long for a tax case against Biden or a gun case? Simple case, right? I can't answer that question. Um, I don't know what's what the holdup is on that. And it's possible, this is conjecture, that the counterintel case is still going. Like, my God, we had a lot of Chinese uh, uh, intelligence people running around this guy. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe they need to sort that out. I don't know. But my understanding is the case has not been closed. Yeah. Well, Frank, as always, great to get your perspective. Great to see you. Um, happy holidays, my friend. Enjoy. And as this shit continues to progress and more questions come up, you know, I'm going to ask I'm going to ask you right back here on to Mea Culpa. Always a good discussion. Stay safe, my friend. You too. Be well, my friend. And now for today's Mea Culpa. We're about to see how our legal system holds up and under extreme pressure. I mean, there is a lot of shit going on that can only be sorted out in the courts. Or, more importantly, as I keep calling, at the ballot box. And we have to believe that the next generation will vote, that they will organize, activate, and change the world. And hopefully for the better. I mean, 66% of them are already registered voters. They are just smarter than we are. They're less racist and more inclusive. They are largely in favor of LGBTQ rights, gender equality, and access to abortion. I mean, they aren't afraid of socialism. In fact, it was Bernie Sanders who organized Gen Z, or Zoomers as they are called, and helped to build them into a viable voting bloc. I mean, Sanders should be given credit for at least waking them up, which I find funny because he's really old and he acts really old. But his ideas about equality and fairness, they feel really fresh to kids jaded by the Trump era. Gens X, Y, and Z are the biggest single voting bloc in American history. Along with millennials, Gen Zers turned out in historically high numbers for the midterm election, second only to the 2018 election. 
The movements associated with them are School Strike for Climate, March for Our Lives, Me Too. I mean, a 2020 political survey showed that American voters aged between 18 to 23 support the Black Lives Matter movement, get a load of this, by 68%. I mean, that's pretty good. And despite the work of despots like progressive, regressive Ron DeSantis, the kids understand the difficulties that black and brown people face in America. And they want to address it, not kick it down the road for another generation to deal with. I mean, these are the kids, these are our voters, these are our children. They just don't sit back, they don't watch the evening news, they listen to podcasts and they get their information through social media. They don't answer emails, which of course, to people like myself, can be frustrating. But you know what they do? They text. And their family values aren't limited to the nuclear family. I mean, is it any surprise they are not too cool with capitalism? They know that corporate greed has basically fucked up everything. Ex-Gonzalez, once known as Emma, is one of the Parkland kids and she said recently that the country was looking at her and her fellow student activists to be political leaders when they had just been through the trauma of living through a mass shooting. I mean, isn't that enough for them to deal with? But most of them weren't even 18 yet. They were told that they shouldn't joke because adults wouldn't take them seriously. But they did anyway, just simply to stay sane in the midst of what is truly insane. I mean, what's insane? A bunch of adults who choose profits over managing guns that terrorized them and killed them and killed their friends. And so what did it do? It activated them. But these kids made a difference and they inspired the entire generation. So. Things look grim some days, and I just have to remind myself that theirs is a generation forged by fire. And while they're tough as nails, they still need our support. They need to know that we believe in them, that we trust them, that we have faith in them, and that we will fight right alongside them, which we will. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth.